Hey, um, real quick before we jump in, can we, how about we all stand for one last thing? I never do this, and so it's kind of cheesy for me to even like suggest this, but turn to a neighbor and say, God is doing something new. Say it. Go for it. There we go. Do you believe that? Look, God is doing something new, guys. And the fact of the matter is, is uh, you know, I, I know that anytime you come to a church service or community or anything for that matter, and you just begin to talk about money, it can be kind of awkward and weird. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But it's part of our discipleship. Uh, God's not fretting. We're not fretting. God's in control. And we trust that. We trust that God is, God is in control of all of these circumstances that are happening in our world right now, from a pandemic to racial injustice to challenges and all that that we are facing right now to the various types of hardships that you yourself are encountering. And we truly believe that God is in control. And this is an opportunity for us to rewire our hearts, our thoughts, and our affections to think about and understand and to devote our loyalties to this God who loves us and gave himself for us. So before we jump in and get in the word, um, hopefully it's not going to be too windy. I want you guys to do something. If you are one of the blessed few sitting underneath one of these canopies, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you are directly under one or near one. Raise your hand really high. I want to see you. Okay. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to figure out somebody in your crew. Okay. Right now, figure out somebody in your crew that if the wind, if the wind picks up, I need one of you to be that person that's going to throw your life down for the sake of others. And you will grab a pole and with your weight, you will hold it down. So if you're like sub 50 LBs, like, like that, you should not be the person holding that thing. So, um, figure out who's going to do that and make sure if the wind, so I need you to be aware, pay attention if the wind picks up. Cause you know, look, we're close to Los Osos Valley road. Thank you. Los Osos. We get all that crazy wind and it's cold. So if you ever in this part of town, it gets cold. It's all Los Osos casting blame here. So, um, anyways, just think about that. We don't want these things being picked up by the wind and causing any, more anxiety than we already have. All right. So make sure you pay attention to that. And, uh, let's, uh, let's jump in this morning. I'm going to pray and then we can all go ahead and have a seat. And, uh, if you want, you can open up your Bibles to Psalm 146 is what we're going to look at here, but let me pray and we'll just, uh, sit and jump in. So Jesus, right now we invite your presence. God, we just pause and realize right now in this place, our greatest treasure is not what we possess, it's not the fact that we live in slow. It's not the fact that we have a job, clothing, money in the bank account, that we don't have bills that are stacking up. All of those things are nice, but the greatest treasure, God, that we have is you. So right now, Father, we pray that you would make your presence known. Your presence is what changes us, transforms us. So, God, not only do we long for your presence, but we also long to be transformed, to be made like Jesus. But then, God, as we're being changed, that we would begin to embrace the mission, the purpose, the meaning that you've created for us in this world. So, God, we want in on all that you're doing right now, in this time, in this place, in this culture, in this moment. We want in. We want to be a part of what you're up to. So God, take our hearts and make them new. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Why don't you all grab a seat? Psalm 146. So um, what I want to do this morning is uh, today is kind of like a little bit of a bridge, if you want to think of it that way, uh, as we come to a conclusion of one series. So at the beginning of the pandemic, um, when things were completely disoriented and turned upside down, we uh, had been teaching through a series in Corinthians. We kind of suspended that, put that on pause, and began to take a look at the Psalms. And we weren't just simply reading through the Psalms or teaching through the Psalms on Sunday morning. We we're also inviting you guys to read along in the Psalms uh, every single day. And so uh, if you were here last week, uh, Jamie from Campus Crusade, your crew, uh, taught, and it was great, great message. Um, if you have been reading through the Psalms, you know that you would have been done by now. Like Psalms would have been finished. You would have read through every single Psalm uh, one a day, except for when we came to Psalm 119, that was spread throughout a week. Um, but what I want to encourage you to do is to, uh, to re-up, to do it again. Start through reading the Psalms again. So if you were part of that crew that was reading, uh, my encouragement to you would be to pick it right back up. Start from Psalm 1 again, beginning today, sometime throughout the day. Begin to read through that tomorrow, Psalm 2, uh, the next day, Psalm 3, and just keep going through that. And then when you're done, get to Psalm 150 again, re-up, all right? Do it again. Uh, make that a daily practice. Uh, a lot of times I have people ask me, what should I do as a follower of Jesus? What are some things that I can actually do? Um, I would suggest, um, first of all, like one of the most important, like individual personal practices that you can do is begin to engage with scripture, imbibe, think about, get the scripture into you. One of the simplest ways of doing that is just by reading a psalm a day. It's, it's simple. Make time, make space for that. So anyways, that being said, we are finishing psalms today. Um, and then my hope would be to go back into it. So what I want to do is sort of like an encore, all right? That, that's a pun. So I'll leave that for a second for you to just think about that. Psalms, I'm doing an encore. Two of you guys got that. All right, next one. Um, as we continue to go through this, next week we'll begin a brand new series, which I'm really excited about. I think in this cultural moment, I think there's, there's, a, there's a time for us to address and think deeply and prayerfully and biblically uh, where we're at right now as a culture. So the next uh, little series that we're going to be doing for a season of time between four to six weeks, I'm not exactly certain how long it's going to take, but somewhere around that time frame, um, I'm going to be starting a brand new series. It's going to be called Gospel as Center, and there's a subtitle to it. How great is that? Subtitle. And the uh, subtitle basically goes something like this, In the Matters of Race, Justice, and Humanity. And my hope would be for us as a church to begin to dig deep and think uh, carefully, biblically, critically about these really important topics. But most importantly, how they all line up and synchronize with Scripture. And I, and I would even go so far as to say this. Um, we'll talk more about this next week. But if you are deeply loyal to Jesus, first and foremost, as your ultimate claim on your life, Jesus, uh, this series shouldn't be that difficult. It should just be part of imbibing scripture and having your heart shaped and reshaped and uh, transformed by God. If our affiliations, if our loyalties are to a political party, left, right, doesn't matter, we're on whatever spectrum, uh, it may be challenging. Um, but my hope for us as followers of Jesus, that our number one loyalty would be Jesus, King Jesus, and the word that helps shape our discipleship to him. So my hope would be as we begin to think carefully and biblically through these things that we would have uh, the equipping that we need and the empowerment that has been made available to us through the Holy Spirit to begin to live out in ways 
the glorious gospel that we've been invited by God to participate in. So like I said, we finished Psalms today. What I want to do right now is I'm going to read through Psalm 146. I think it's a great um, closure to the book because it's the last five Psalms. It begins and ends with the exact same phrase, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, But it also becomes a great segue into the remainder of this new uh, series that I'm really excited about us beginning to jump into and to take a look at. Again, uh, Gospel of Center in Matters of Race, Justice, and Humanity. So with that being said, um, I'm going to read through Psalm 146. So just uh, take a moment. If you have your Bibles open or your app open up to that, go ahead and just listen. I'll read and then we will jump in. Psalm 146 begins like this. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put trust in princes. Or in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Yeah. Love that. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion. One of the fringe benefits of meeting outside in a parking lot. On a very busy street. And then he finishes with the same phrase that he began with. Praise the Lord. So God, again, right now we just pause and we say, speak to us. Show us, God, your ways. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I mentioned, this is the final five part of the collection of five psalms. Uh, that closes up the rest of the book of Psalms. And uh, again, without getting into a lot of nerdy stuff about this, because there's a lot of really good nerdy stuff with regard to this, which I won't go into right now. You're welcome. But the point is, is that these last five Psalms, they begin with the phrase, praise the Lord. They end with the phrase, praise the Lord. What's really fascinating about this is uh, these last five Psalms are actually believed to have been written by those that were in charge of the uh, the, the worship ceremony for the restruction or reconstruction of the brand new temple. So again, a lot of information I just downloaded to you right there. But if you're familiar with Israel's history, you, you know that there was a time when they lived safely in the land of Israel. And what happened was, as a collective nation, their hearts began to turn away from God. They began to treat each other with injustices. Uh, you had kings that were misleading the nation. There was moral corruption, moral rottenness that was happening on individual levels. There was uh, corporate systemic forms of sin and brokenness and evil that were being spread throughout the nation as a whole. 
people were, uh, were abandoning justice in order to basically advance their own ways, their own careers. They were taking advantage of each other. Injustices were being spread. Uh, the worship to God was being degraded, uh, meaning that they stopped worshiping. They stopped enjoying the Sabbaths that God in, uh, called them to do. Uh, there was every seven days the land, uh, the people were to enjoy what was called a Sabbath rest. That was being neglected. And as a result of this, over many, many, many years, uh, God said that there was a nation that was going to rise up and take them off into exile. It was called the Babylonian nation. And so for many years, almost 100 years, the people of Israel suffered under this form of exile. It was a form of judgment. All of the prophets describe this. And it basically would consistently go back and say the people of Israel, they turned from the ways of God. And as a result of that, they found themselves in a state of exile. You know what exile is, right? Exile is that state of feeling as if you are far away from home. Or it's another way of saying, here's shalom, here's peace, but I'm over here. I'm not where I want to be. Maybe some of you are like that right now. You're looking at your life and you're saying, I know what I really long for. I want a job. I want security. I want peace. I want a whole heart. I want relationships that are not constantly breaking down and filled with toxic types of uh, uh, conversations and attitudes and actions. I want wholeness. Uh, what's happening in our lives? Well, that, that's the form of exile. We're, we're not in a state of home. And this is where the people of Israel, they were not home. And then what happened was after 70 plus or so years, uh, God began to move in the hearts and the lives of the world leaders during that time. A guy by the name of Cyrus, for example, uh, began to give this decree, told the people of Israel, if you're familiar with the story of Nehemiah or Ezra, um, these are all what's called the post-exilic uh, writings that God is beginning to move in the hearts of this leader that basically allowed them to move back into the land of Israel. So again, they were you know hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home, literally, and their temple that they once uh, was at the very center of their uh, political life, their a religious life, their social life. The temple was so central to the people of Israel. And now it's been destroyed. And they're off in a foreign land. And now they've been longing for the reconstruction of this temple. And now they have the opportunity to go rebuild this temple. And the, the beauty of it, it's all on the dime of the king of Persia, right? So he's basically footing the whole bill for everything. He's providing not only the money, he's providing the foot soldiers, he's providing the protection, he's providing everything. The blueprint, basically, it's just saying, hey, whatever you guys want, we'll, we'll take care of it. We'll foot the bill. So the people of Israel are going back into the land. They're building the wall under Nehemiah. They're building the temple under Ezra. And now here they are. They need the, the religious reality of this, of being able to sing these songs. And this is where these last five songs of the book of Psalms come into play. These were the songs that were to be sung at the rededication of the second temple, which this is kind of amazing when you think about this, um, because if you're familiar with the stories of Nehemiah or Ezra, Everything was not like peachy during that time. It's not like everything was peaceful and hunky-dory. They were in the midst of turbulent moments. The, the way they be, rebuilt the walls and rebuilt the temple, it was not like everything was pristine and perfect and easy. It was very challenging and hard and difficult. They had all sorts of outside pressures. They had all sorts of inside pressures, turmoil. There was division that was happening, we, even amidst the ranks of the people. Uh, the people of Israel that were part of this project of reconstructing the temple were basically turning away from God. And they were doing things just like they had done previously before the exile that got them into trouble in the very first place. 
So all of this was happening while this fresh work of God was beginning to take place. And yet, nonetheless, here are the songs that would have been written and sung by these people in this turbulent time with one main aim in mind. God's doing a new thing. That's, that's the big hope for the people of Israel. Here we are in our land again. We got our temple back. We got our wall around our city. We're getting our national identity back. God is doing a new thing. So there was a deep sense of hopefulness commingled with the deep sense of, of despair and pain and hardship and tragedy and difficulty that they found themselves facing. So there's two things I think that are really important that we begin to identify that these songs were intended to be sung in the context of. Number one, they were to be sung boldly, loudly proclaimed, number one, during um, uncertain and strenuous times. So in other words, that little phrase we'll look at in just a moment here. Praise the Lord is to be held on to, clung to, proclaimed, even in the midst of strenuous times. So again, this was written 3,000 years ago, plus this has been part of the songbook of the people of Israel for 3,000 plus years. This has been sung countless hundreds, if not thousands and thousands, if not millions of times by people longing for God to just do what God does in the midst of strenuous times. That's, that right there is a message that for many of us we need to think about. Because for many of us, we talk about praising God when everything's going great. We praise God when our lives are moving in a proper direction, when we get the job that we want, when we get the promotion that we're longing for, when we get that relationship and everything just kind of works nicely and smoothly, when we get whatever it is that we're longing for. In other words, what we're really doing by those moments is we're proclaiming that our true greatest treasure are those things. And we just use God to get those things. God's not our ultimate end. He's not our ultimate treasure. But this is an invitation to reverse that order, to say, God, you are my ultimate treasure. And even if I don't have those things, even if I'm still not in a place of shalom, I will praise the Lord. I will honor you. I will, I will extol, glorify, honor, lift up, boldly proclaim your greatness, even when I don't have what I really long for. Secondly, we're told uh, in terms of uh, how these songs are to be sung, not only during uncertain times, but secondly, uh, directed by Yahweh as a central redeeming figure. In other words, these songs are not secular. <laughs> these aren't just like hope-filled, you know, songs sung by a bunch of, you know, drunk Irish people in a pub, like hopefully desiring a better world. These are songs sung by people that distinctly claim God as being the central redeeming figure in their life. That's really important to understand. We, we live in really unique times. Defining times. But the question is, is what will be the ultimate central redeeming figure of all of this? And this is where I want to lead into some final thoughts as we wrap this up. Um, he gives this admonition. Maybe you, you caught on to it. He says this in verses three through four, he says, do not put your trust in princes or the son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth and on the very day of his plans, they perish. Now again, in the context, if, if what I'm suggesting to you is accurate, meaning that these were written by post-exilic temple worship leading people, they're very familiar with Cyrus and his, his money. They're very, very familiar with Cyrus's political aims and agenda. 
who's basically funding this whole thing. He's providing, I mean, imagine them who've come from 70 plus years of exile. They've been humiliated. They are an oppressed people. They're living in a foreign land. They don't have all the trinkets of home. They don't even have their own identity. All of that's been scrubbed for the most part, though there are those that have held on, clung to their identity to some degree. But for the most part, the identity, their nationalistic identity has for the most part been, been lost and not fully embraced, though there are those that had been able to do that. The point of the matter is here they are marching back from Babylon into the region of Israel, looking towards the temple, being accompanied by the world militaristic superpower. Imagine that. Like, how powerful would you feel? How prone would you feel to trust the militaristic superpower that's walking Escorting you into the land that you once, your forefathers once inhabited and inherited. Now here you are accompanied not only by the money, the coin, uh, but also the militaristic power of this nation. How tempted would you be to say, we're amazing. Look what we got here. And the psalmist is saying, stop trusting in princes. They'll let you down. They'll die. They cannot ultimately sustain the breadth of your longings. Please know this. I don't care what you're trusting in. If it's not Jesus, at some point, it will expire. It has a shelf life. It has limited mileage. And what the psalmist is inviting, inviting us into is to consider Yahweh as being the central redeeming figure. That he is the one that we're invited to put our ultimate hope and claim in. And then listen to how he, uh, Walter Brueggemann, uh, Old Testament scholar, describes it this way. I love this. Listen to what he says. Here the psalmist declares human capacity to be fragile, unreliable, and without staying power, without breath, without life, without generative capacity, and consequently of no help at all. The focus is not on humanity in general, but on powerful humanity. All right? I mean, we can all think about humanity in general, but then talk about powerful humanity. Think about a president, a Supreme Court judge, <laughs> a political entity, a wealthy beneficiary. I don't care, Harry, fill in the blank. Is, he's talking about wealthy, powerful people. Who are the wealthy, powerful people that if we just were able to tap into their ear and they had been able to give us their compassion, we would be able to feel powerful. In some ways, this is kind of what happened during the 80s and 90s. It was called the culture wars. Christians kind of played it, and the hope was to somehow gain power politically. It backfired, by the way. The point that I would make is this, is that the writer of the Psalms is saying, do not trust any human being who has power. Brueggemann goes on to say, uh, the sort of folks... Whom, who seem to be properly in charge and able to manage worldly affairs. He says, no, says the psalm, they are not reliable. I love that. They are not ultimately reliable. Who is? The Lord. Yahweh. It's why the psalmist invites us, the beginning and the conclusion of these five psalms, praise Yahweh. So in case um, any of us this moment are just kind of, Asking the question, why, why praise Yahweh? What, what makes Yahweh important, significant, powerful? The only reason why I say that is because I think most of us, 
we are all prone to forgetfulness. We have our own amnesic bouts where we forget what God is doing, what needs to happen. We forget God. We forget God's power. We forget the story that God is up to in our lives and in this world. And when we forget that, we find ourselves going into these spirals of despair, despondency, pain. Forgetfulness happens. So this is a reminder for us to say, do not forget God. Praise Yahweh. So I'm just going to go through the psalm real quick, and we'll wrap it up with an invitation for us to turn our hearts personally to God. Uh, so first of all, I want to look at, number one, why the psalmist tells us to praise God. Uh, first of all, he tells us in verse 6 that he is the creator and is ultimately faithful. That Yahweh is the creator. So listen to how he describes this. Who made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he keeps faith forever. Another way, another translation could describe it as he is a faithful God who's always faithful forever and ever and ever. He never turns his back. And so I think the typical idea is that if God is capable, able to create all things, everything that's tangible, everything that's intangible, everything that's visible and, and invisible, that this God is capable of sustaining you. So therefore, praise Yahweh. Secondly, uh, he is the judge, and he establishes justice. We'll actually get more into this next week, but I just want you to listen to this. Uh, Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. I think of, in the context of perhaps uh, bringing justice to those that are oppressed, this is the God that is on the move. This is why justice is not an issue that should be relegated over to some political ism. Justice is the territory of everybody who loves God. It's a simple, that's why I said earlier, like if you love Jesus, his kingdom, justice should be something that swells your heart. Like I want to talk about this. If it's not, if there are other loyalties, then this will be, there's like a, something to choke on. This is why an invitation is to consider, reconsider, think about who this God is that loves us and gave himself for us. We're told he is the one that executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. Now, the fact is, again, we'll get into this more next week. There is a negative and a positive side to justice. On the one hand, there are those that that should be in prison because they have violated the laws of the land that actually ultimately bring harm and destruction to other people. And yet there are... Sadly, those that are actually imprisoned uh, unjustly, meaning they either did not do something wrong and therefore they are in an unjust situation or what they did was not deserving of what they ended up being given. I think of, for example, uh, Alice Marie Johnson, who recently was just actually released from a life sentence by President Trump um, by the urging of, uh, you know, prophet slash megastar Kim Kardashian, right? I'm joking profit part but you get the idea you get the idea that that what ended up happening was was she was in prison for life on charges of a drug deal that had gone wrong many many years ago and i mean to be in jail for something as extensive as that is, is bad but not to the degree that it was therefore an injustice was made right this is god's stuff by the way this is stuff that god looks at and when injustices are looked at and repented of and undone. 
These are things that God looks at and says, I take great delight in those things. Why? Because, again, verse 7, he is a judge who establishes justice. Thirdly, I think uh, we are to praise God because he's the father who provides, says that he gives food to the hungry. Uh, Fourthly, we see that he is, in verses 8 and 9, he's the redeemer who restores what is lost. I love this. It says in verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over sojourners, or we would say an immigrant. Those that are traveling, those that are longing for another homeland that they're fleeing from one in exchange for another one that may be safe. He's saying the Lord actually watches over those sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, the most vulnerable. He's a redeemer. I love the idea that he restores that which is lost. Just pause and think about that. Are there areas in your life right now that you, you grieve, you mourn the loss of something? Loss of a relationship, loss of a job, loss of a life. I and mean, we've all gone through COVID together. We've all, to some degree, have been radically impacted by the forms of injustices and things that have been consistently highlighted on the news for us. And maybe maybe a form of uh, anxiety that's come to take the place of a sense of peace that was once there. We feel the sense of loss. But these are things in which God is saying, I will, I will restore. This is who he is. And finally, we see that he's king. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. When he uses the phrase, the Lord will reign, this is kingly language that basically describes God not just as some far-off distant entity or deity from another plane or another zone, but he is Yahweh God who's very near. And it's not until we come to the person of Jesus that we see the true extent of this God and his desire to make right that which is sorely wrong in our lives. I'll give you an example. So for... Throughout Jesus' life, there was, uh, you're familiar with the story of John, John the baptizer. He's uh, in prison at one point. And while he's in prison, he's assessing, no doubt, his life and thinking, man, I've had all this incredible stuff happen to me. I've been a part in the very center of a really uniquely uh, amazing ministry. And now all of that has been lost and replaced by being, being in prison. And so he begins to wonder if Jesus really is the Messiah. So he sends some of his, uh, his disciples to Jesus and asks him, are you the Messiah? Should we look for another? And again, I, I'm certain John's mind, he's thinking if Jesus is truly, truly the Messiah, the king, he's going to set me free. Why? Because he's in prison. John would have been familiar with Psalm 146. He no doubt would have been thinking, this is who Yahweh is. Yahweh sets the prisoner free. And John's thinking, I'm in prison and I'm unjustly being held right now. So he's thinking, if Jesus is the Messiah, he's going to set me free. Now again, this is his math, right? Uh, he sends these disciples to Jesus. Jesus then says to his disciples, uh, go back and tell John, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the hungry are fed. And then he has this little like tagline at the very end. Oh, by the way, Tell John, blessed are those, he gives him a beatitude, blessed are those who aren't offended by me. Why does he do that? I, I think what, what Jesus is doing to John, he's, he's, he's setting him up, not for failure, but to realize, like, John, yes, I am this Yahweh who's come to do all of these things. But for you, in your case, a grave injustice will continue to unfold in your life. But blessed are you, John, 
if you're not offended by me. You trust me, John, I think is what he's saying. You trust me. Will you praise Yahweh even when things don't go your way? So what I want to do right now as we close, I want us to think about something. We show forth God's greatness when we praise him, even when things are really dire. And in the midst of despair and brokenness and hardship, we elevate, we lift up his name, we praise Yahweh, even in the midst of this hardship. But, you know, here's the reality. We accurately show forth God's greatness, not just simply by how accurately we exegete, exposit, or explain scripture. That's important. That's important. I don't want to minimize that in any way, shape, or form. But that's not the ultimate way by which we display the greatness of God. We display the greatness of God by our actions that look like Jesus. And what we see Jesus on the cross, ultimately, professing his confidence. You know what he's doing? He's, he's praising Yahweh in the very context of the most gravest injustice ever done to any human being. He's praising God. He's calling upon the name of God. He's reciting the Psalms. They're part of his vocabulary. It's why one of the reasons why arguments, I would say, read the Psalms daily. Make it a part of your language, your vocabulary, to help you process, to think, to pray, to consider the greatness of God. Jesus did. And so here's Jesus seeking God. So ultimately, we see that for many of us, we we obviously realize really quickly here that many of our lives, we, we just, they're very incongruous with the life of God. We're human beings. But this is where I want to close with this, this thought. There's a, there's a way out of that state, though. And the way out of that state is what the Bible describes as repentance, where we turn our hearts to God. We look upon who God is. We look upon how we have fallen short. We confess those things. And we discover God's redemption and forgiveness in our lives. Um, some of you might know that today is actually um, just a few more hours before sunset. And the moment sunset happens is the highest, most holiest day for the Jewish year. It's called Yom Kippur. It's otherwise known as the Day of Atonement. And it's a, it's a day in which uh, they don't celebrate. It's actually a, a sober day. And it's a day of repentance. It's a day of recognizing. Um, but also as well, there are hundreds of churches right now, today, that are looking at this Sunday as a day to remember and God's goodness, but then to repent. So what we're going to do right now as we close is to have a moment of confession of sin, of repentance. I'm going to, I've asked my wife, Sherry, to come on up, and she's going to pray for us as we move into that. And then Nick and Jill will close us with a song. So what I would like to do right now is I would like to have us all stand as we finish this up. And what I want to do as we kind of are led into this uh, again, not just our church, hundreds, if not thousands of churches, if not hundreds of thousands of Christians nationwide. And this is completely different than what happened yesterday in the national lawn of thousands of upwards of, I don't know, between seven to 100,000 Christians on the national lawn praying, confessing sin before God. This is, this is the, a new thing that God's doing in our, in our midst. You guys, for so many years, the Christian churches in America 
evangelical churches have looked for a new program, a new way to somehow create church growth and to build people up and to do whatever it is that they're up to doing, more laser shows, more fog machines, more whatever it is, that somehow this will be the thing that will make the church like happening or at least look cool to the rest of the world that doesn't really care about it. And the bottom line is it doesn't work, especially in a moment like today, it's not working. I mean, look at, look at what we're doing here. There, there's nothing like cool or hip or like, oh, this is all, there's nothing about, I mean, uh, like, like our team has done an amazing job. So they've, uh, I kudos to everyone who has just worked so hard, but look, we're outside. It's hot. It's windy. There's nothing cool about any of this. And yet God's still here. And this is a moment for us to just pause and reflect upon our greatest need, which is God. Do not trust in princes. Do not trust in human beings. Do not trust in human effort, human ingenuity, human creativity. Trust in God who makes all things new. And this is an opportunity for us in this moment in response to the continued division, destruction, degradation that's taking place throughout our land, the injustices that are happening, the response to those injustices, which is deep angst and pain and hardship, as followers of Jesus, we should not turn our blind eye to any of that. We should feel that. We should sense that and pray for that and ask God how he wants to use us as a part of the solution to the deep angst and pain within our world around us. Guys, the church, I've done a lot of reading over this past summer. I've been gone for three months. If you have no idea, I've been gone for three months. I was on a sabbatical. I did a lot of reading. And one of the things that I've just consistently come back to is the church, the church, especially in America, has been not only the source of some of the most profound pain and racism in America. It's also been the source of incredible healing and wholeness and reconciliation. But it happens through moments like this, where we collectively and individually, we bring our hearts humbly to God and we cry out for the areas and ways in which we we've not lined up with the ways of God. What I'm suggesting to you doesn't happen anywhere. Look, you're not going to go to a Senate meeting where they're going to begin the meeting by saying, hey everybody, let's just take a collective two minutes and think about every area in our lives that we failed, the American people. Let's just talk about that for a moment. You're not going to find that in the Chamber of Commerce meeting. You're not going to find that in some big board meeting in some big corporate office that's skimming billions of dollars off of it. You will not find this anywhere, but you'll find it, hopefully, in the church. Where we acknowledge, man, we're, we're broken people. Not only are we broken, not only have we been broken by others, but we've also contributed to the brokenness of other people. But we don't want to do that anymore. We want to be part of the healing. We want to be part of the wholeness. And this is, this is where God begins to break through. So I want to do three things, and then we'll wrap it up. I realize our time is, is um, almost out. So thanks for being patient real quick, and we'll wrap this up. Number one is lament, repent, and pray. So lament. Um, I want to read something real quick. Um, this actually comes from uh, just some of the stuff that's been happening, uh, a collection of stuff to think about. Um, in the writing here, described that America actually leads the world in illegal and prescription drug use, rape, murder, 
total crimes, incarceration. Check this out. This is no like shocking one. Do you know that the largest leader, leader of the entire world of pornography, both the, the, the creation and the distribution, is our, is our country? Pornography. Goes on to describe abortion. Over 60 million since 1973. 1.5 million a year. Over the past time that we've just been sitting here, 85 unborn children have been aborted in the womb. It's a positive thing about that. This is our nation. The reality is we must wake up to the reality of the horrors that we're living in right now. And this is not to put anybody on edge. This is for us to just listen to the facts and to mourn them. It begins there to say, oh my God. I want to be a part of the healing. Oh my God, I've been a part of the problem. I've been complicit in some of this. God, I want a way out. So right now, I want for us to maybe consider uh, closing your eyes. Uh, If you would like, you can just lift out your hands as just an act of saying, God, I bring my life to you. You don't have to if you don't want to. It's just a a bodily action that says, God, I I, I bring to you these things. I just want to take a moment. We'll lament, and then we will repent, and then we'll pray. So right now, lament. Consider, think about the areas of, of pain that you feel right now, the injustices that maybe have been done to you, maybe the injustices that you have caused in the lives of other people. Lament. Feel it. Don't turn from it. It's not by compulsion, but it's just an invitation. There's no guilt. Just feel it, though. Just feel it. I want to move into just a moment of repentance. And repentance really is just an invitation to turn away from those areas in which we've been either complicit, to turn to the way of God. It's another way of saying, praise the Lord, O my soul. It's reshifting the focus. So right now, just with your eyes closed, if you want, lift out your hands. It's just a way of saying, God, I, I confess to you these areas in my life. And you, you know what they are. It's going to be different for every one of us. We're all, we're all individual people. To confess those things to God. Those areas maybe in which you have been complicit, those areas in which maybe you've been ignorant, you've just not been aware, but now God's bringing you some degree of awareness and you want to lay those things down to him. Just in a moment of silence, just repent. Turn from those things. Whatever it is, turn. And if right now your, your mind is blank, um, ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, maybe in a moment of transparency, maybe you've never done this before. Say, Holy Spirit, show me areas right now that my life is bringing pain, chaos, hurting to others around me and maybe bringing offense to your ways. Just straight out confess that to him. If you confess your sin to God, Scripture says that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Uh, Some churches, they will actually read 
a pardon. It's beautiful. I don't have one around me right now, otherwise I would read it. It's a way of receiving the pardon, the forgiveness of God. So I want you to receive, as you confess your sin, the forgiveness of God. Know that you are, you are made right with this God that loves you. And I want to finish by praying. So I've asked my wife to pray over us, our church family, our community. And then we'll finish this song. God, we come before you today humbly. And Lord, we want to surrender our hearts to you today. God, we ask that you would cleanse us, that you would purify us, that you would make us right in your sight, God, in your eyes. Lord, I thank you for every person that you have brought here this morning. And God, I pray that you would stir in us just a passion to walk in a way that is pleasing before you, to walk in a way that honors you. God, in the midst of the chaos in our world, the racial injustice that we see, the hurt, the brokenness, the wounds, God, we surrender our lives before you today. We pray that your word would just fill our hearts. God, we pray that your truth would fill our hearts and that you would bring us to a place of surrender before you. God, that you would show us those areas in our life that we need to surrender and to lay down before you. God, we pray for just a purity and a wholeness. God, that you would bring restoration where we have been discouraged and disappointed with what is taking place, God, in so many areas of our world. Lord, we ask that you would bring restoration. We ask, God, that where there is brokenness, that you would bring wholeness. Lord, that you would give us hearts that are humble before you, that you would strip us of our pride and of our ego and what we think belongs to us. And, God, we just ask that you would do a new work, that you would bring about new things in our heart and in our life. And, Lord, you would use us to be beacons of light in our community in our state, in our culture, in where we have influence, God, that we would be beacons of light to bring honor and glory to your name. Father, I just pray that you would do a work in every heart that's here. And Lord, we ask that you would help us, your people, to be a bridge. God, that we would be used to draw others to you, that people would see your faithfulness in our lives, God. We thank you that you are faithful, and may we walk in that faithfulness. May we see hope and restoration come where we feel that sense of um, anger and bitterness and hate. God, may you use us with humble hearts to bring a change and to, to show your love and your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we ask, God, that you would go before us today as we step out, as we surrender, as we ask you to fill our hearts, to fill our lives. May you bring restoration, God. May you bring a cleansing. May you bring healing to those hearts that are broken. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.